Welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? A show where our host engages in a lively conversation with the guest. The guest chooses the topic and the host has no prior preparation or knowledge of the topic. Please note that the opinions expressed on this program are the opinions and views of the host and the guests and are not necessarily the same opinions and views of Al Seeger or Point of Insanity Game Studio. And now, here's your host, Chad Knight. Good evening and welcome to Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? I'm your host, Chad Knight, and from deep, dark, below the earth, I bring you a special edition of Whose Podcast Is It Anyway? All right, so right into Welcome to My Mind Mayor. Um, Evercon. Evercon is the thing on my mind right now. We are three weeks away today uh, from Evercon 2017. Um, three weeks, that, that equals 21 days, people. So it's coming fast and it's coming strong. Um, we've got our, our guests lined up. Um, I'm going to go through the list of guests. I, I know I've touched on this before, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where um, I, I encourage you people, if you don't know who somebody on the list is, just go out there, you know, do a quick uh, wiki on them or a quick search on them, and you'll find a lot of cool stuff on these guys. So uh, first up, we have Lloyd Metcalf. Now, Lloyd is, um, he's an old school uh, role-playing guy. He, uh, he's a writer, he's an artist, um, and though he uh, works in some fifth ad D&D stuff, he, he mostly writes for old school uh, role-playing games. Um, but uh, he, he'll be at the con, not only will he be at the con, he'll be running his, um, his newest release, um, just coming off of, uh, of a Kickstarter called The Lands of Lunacy. So you should come out, check that out, see, uh, you know, see what's going on with it, see what his stuff is. Um, it's some good stuff. I've looked at it. Um, I've talked to Lloyd quite a bit, so I recommend that. Um, we have Drew Hapley from... Uh, from Steve Jackson Games, he is a Men in Black, they call them. He uh, comes out, he is going to be running a bunch of learn how to play Steve Jackson Games, that kind of stuff. Um, he's going to be doing a couple seminars as well. Um, and then we've got David McGarry. He is the creator of the Dungeon Board Game. For So this is really for you old school guys. I think Dungeon Board Game came out in about 1974, uh, give or take a year. Um and uh, David will be there, and I believe he is running uh, four or five sessions of Dungeon. Plus, he's doing a couple seminars for us throughout the weekend. He'll be around. You can meet him. Um, in fact, all of our guests will be around. You'll be able to meet all of them at uh, at times throughout the uh, convention. Uh, then we have Tim Seeley coming back now. Tim is a comic book writer and artist. Um, he's done his own series called Hack and Slash. Um, which I believe has wrapped up now, and he is doing one called Revival, um, which is set right in central Wisconsin, which is a really neat concept, and it's kind of a, if you like uh, uh, The Walking Dead, you're going to like Revival. It's kind of got that same kind of feel, um, though it's not zombies exactly. It's uh, It's got that same kind of feel. Tim will be around. Um, if you go to our website and, and check out this year's poster, Tim actually did the artwork for that, so that was really kind of cool. He'll be there. He'll uh, he'll be doing, um, you know, uh, he'll be uh, drawing. He'll be doing things. Um, he's uh, donated some art to the silent auction. That, or, yeah, the silent auction that we're going to have this year. Um, and then our final guest is Ken Height. Now, Ken Height is a, 
he's an RPG uh, writer. He uh, has done, he's worked with, um, uh, you know, a lot of different companies, um, Chaosium, Dungeons and Dragons. He um, has titles under his name like Trail of Cthulhu. He's got, um, he's uh, did the gumshoe system uh, with Robin Laws. He um, has done a bunch of other stuff that I can't think of right off the top of my head, but he will be there. He will be running a game as well as doing some seminars um, on how and uh, how and why you would uh, get into the, uh, you know, into the type of thing that he does. Uh, so that'll be kind of cool. Uh, we've got games. We now have um, 160 uh, events registered, uh, more coming in almost every day. Um, so that was great. We opened up, um, you could start buying your tickets back on November 27th. Um, so, you know, if you haven't done that yet, get out there, purchase your tickets for the games you want. If you purchase a ticket, you're guaranteed a spot. Um, so that's always a good thing to uh, do. Uh, it also helps you kind of plan out your weekend for the con. So it's kind of a neat thing. Um, we've got, like I said, the seminars. And, you know, this is something we're just putting out there right now. We're actually going to have a buffet at this year's EverCon, which um, I've been to a lot of cons in my life. I've never seen one with a buffet. So we'll see how that works. But I think it's going to be good. They're going to offer uh, dinner on Friday, uh, lunch and dinner on Saturday, and we're going to have a nice brunch on Sunday. So, you know, that's always a really neat kind of thing to do. That way you don't have to leave the site. You can go get some food. It's an all-you-can-eat buffet. Go purchase your ticket. Go eat your food. Get back to gaming. So that's always a great thing. All right. So next, uh, I'm going to introduce my guest, who is not who I said it was going to be. Um, unfortunately, due to circumstances, uh, Spencer Loomis, who was supposed to be my guest uh, today, um, was unable to make the recording. So I jumped out to my network of people and... Uh, you know, thankfully, um, Scott Ahern has uh, has uh, heartily agreed to come back and do a second episode. So we'll see uh, what he's up to. Uh, you want to give us any updates, Scott? Um, not a whole lot. Just getting all my uh, games ready for EverCon. I'm running three events, one Friday, one Saturday, one Sunday. Want to give us a quick rundown on those? Uh, sure. I'm actually running three completely different systems. I have a four-color comic book style in 5th uh, Edition Heroes. So, and that one is going to be, of course, as is often the case in comic books, save the world from some crazed madman. I have a very large, very high-powered D&D uh, 3.5 adventure. What uh, levels are we talking? Uh, looking at eight eighth-level characters. Ooh, that can get nasty quick. Yes, but uh, given what you're going to be facing, you might be a little underpowered. So okay. be prepared to wield some pretty nifty weapons. And then uh, my third one is a system that I am very happy to be running. It's a Dresden Files role-playing game based on the Jim Butcher series of novels and then which was also turned into a sci-fi channel original series. And I'm actually, that's the one I'm hoping I can snake some time and actually sit down and play if there's, a, if there's an open spot. If there's not, that's even better. But yes, um, that's the one I'm kind of looking forward to. So, All right. All right. So I'm going to jump into uh, Today in History. Uh, again, everybody out there, by now, if you're a regular listener, you know I get my uh, history facts from www.history.com slash this day in history. I do not make these up. I do not um, know all this stuff. I wish I did um, off the top of my head, but I don't. So, December 16th, 1773. 
the Boston Tea Party. And, you know, that actually works. Scott, you're originally from Boston. I am indeed, and I've been to the uh, replica ship that sits in Boston Harbor, where they have uh, periodically reenactments of the Tea Party. So I've got to ask, after all these years, does the harbor still taste like tea? No, no. The the harbor, <laughs> unfortunately, much like Green Bay here in Wisconsin, has been polluted to the point where um, you do not want to drink it. Apart from the fact that it's Boston Harbor, which is part of the Atlantic, so it's salt water to start with. Well, yeah. Okay. All right. So December 16th, 1773, the Boston Tea Party. In Boston Harbor, a group of Massachusetts colonists disguised as Mohawk Indians board three British tea ships and dump 342 chests of tea into the harbor. The Midnight Raid, popular, popularly known as the Boston Tea Party, was in protest of the British Parliament Tea Act of 1773, a bill designed to save the faltering East India Company by greatly lowering its tea tax and granting it a virtual monopoly on the American tea trade. The low tax allowed the East India Company to undercut even tea smuggled into America by Dutch traders, and many colonists viewed the act as another example of taxation tyranny. When three tea ships, the Dartmouth, the Eleanor, and the Beaver, really the Beaver? Arrived in Boston Harbor, the colonists demanded that the tea be returned to England. After Massachusetts Governor Thomas Hutchinson refused, Patriot leader Samuel Adams organized the Tea Party with about 60 members of the Sons of Liberty, his underground resistance group. The British tea dumped in Boston Harbor on the night of December 16th was valued at some $18,000. Parliament, outraged by the blatant destruction of British property, enacted the uh, Coercive Acts, and also, also known as the Intolerable Acts in 1774. The Coercive Acts closed Boston to merchant shipping, established formal British military rule in Massachusetts, made British officials immune to criminal prosecution in America, and required colonists to quarter British troops. The colonists subsequently called the First Continental Congress to consider a united American resistance to the British. So we became a country because we didn't want to pay taxes on tea? Um, At least partially? Partially. A large part of it was also the monopoly issue, which America has always had issue with. I mean, look at all the antitrust legislation we have nowadays. Oh, yeah. And we when it, and it all, you know, it all came around for reasons. I mean, you don't get laws unless there's reasons for them. So. Right. And in fact, the uh, stationing of British troops led to one of the amendments in the Bill of Rights. Which one are we talking about? I've my hit, not, not necessarily my, the number, but which... It, it's one of the first five. I believe it's number three, but it's that um, the, gov the government cannot force um, citizens to shelter soldiers in their homes. Oh, okay, okay. I see what you're talking about. All right. Okay, so now normally I would, I would guess um, what Scott was going to talk about, but honestly, we, we kind of put this together in a couple hours. I haven't really thought about it, so I'm not going to make a guess this week. I'm just going to have Scott tell us what uh, what he wants to talk about. I would actually like to talk about studying abroad. Studying abroad? Yes. Now, I myself have done this. Okay. Um, I spent three months in Mexico 
with the university here in Stevens Point when I was getting my teaching license. Okay. And I know you have a daughter who's recently returned from being in Germany. Yes. Um, that wasn't... It was study abroad, I guess. they did. She did go to school for um, a little over a week while she was there. She was only in Germany for three weeks. Um, and it sounds kind of like the same way it worked when the British or the uh, German shoot students were here for three weeks. And yes, they went to school, but they didn't really go to school. You right. know, it was more of a, it was more of a immersion into the culture than study abroad, I guess. But, um, yeah. So, all right, let's talk about study abroad. It was something I thought of doing when I was in college. Never did. Um, I wanted to go to France when I was in high school and that didn't happen. Um, so honestly, I have never been out of the country. I've been close to Canada, but I've never been there. So, um, all right. So let's, let's talk about your experience. Okay. Well, as you mentioned earlier, I grew up in Boston. Uh, most of my family is actually from Ireland. So when I was in elementary school, I used to spend uh, quite a number of summers over in Ireland with my family, which was really nice. I mean, I grew up in Boston, big city. But then my family over in Ireland had a farm. So I'd go over there, I'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, milk the cows, collect the eggs, bring it back to the kitchen, and then we'd have breakfast. So if you didn't get up and do your chores, you didn't eat. It was a really simple system. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> now, I can I can kind of go along with that because I did spend a lot of summers my growing up. My the, the neighbor kids, they had a grandma and a grandpa, and they had a farm. Um, you know, 45 minutes out of town and we'd go every summer, or at least I would go every summer, um, around hay time. And, you know, that was kind of it. You got up early, you work all day, you'd get breakfast, you'd get lunch. I mean, they, they kept you well fed, Yes. but you worked, I mean, pretty much, you know, before dawn till dark. Yes. So, um, I, I, I get that. So now I've got to ask, it's just a morbid curiosity of mine. I've never been to Ireland. But do you get Guinness with breakfast? <laughs> Not generally. Usually with lunch. Um, my family was a, a little odd. We had the, the tradition that all of the male gr- grandchildren, I was the oldest grandson, but the Thanksgiving after your fourth birthday was when you got your first beer. And it was Guinness? No. Um, in my case, it was Miller Lite. That's not beer. I'm aware of that. Okay. But... I had only turned four the month before, so that was probably about what they felt I could handle. Yeah, okay, fair enough. Now, by the time I was 10, when I'd be over in Ireland during the summer, we'd work all morning, then we'd have lunch, and then my uncle would take my cousins and I down to the pub. Okay. And in Ireland, especially back in the the 70s and 80s, the drinking age was as long as you can reach up to the bar to pick up the glass... And had the guts to order it. So by 10... That sounds I was very having, Irish, actually. <laughs> yes. So by 10, I was having Guinness with lunch. Okay. Now, generally, they serve it warm, which is how it's supposed to be served. I have drank Guinness warm. I, I would be a bad Irishman, I, I gotta admit. Well, it definitely has a more robust flavor when it's warm. Yes. So, and this was... I mean, you you get a pint glass, and you sit around with everybody and the the older especially the like the grandpas and whatnot would have their pipes usually with uh tobacco flavored with fruit juice 
Um, my cousin's grandfather loved this one blackberry briar okay. type of pipe tobacco. And the aroma of it was just amazing. Very pungent. You could smell it from halfway down the, the walkway going from my cousin's house to his house. Okay. Um, and it just permeated the whole house. And especially a lot of these houses were old uh, fieldstone and sod. So the, the aroma of the pipe soaked yeah. in, especially since that was the only flavor he smoked. So there weren't competing aromas. Right. Now, see... I was unlucky. I, I, I know a lot of people uh, of our generation have those grandpa stories. You know, he smoked a pipe and he smoked, you know, this flavor. I, I know, like, my wife, her grandpa smoked some sort of a cherry, you know, and every once in a while we'll walk by somewhere and she'll be like, you know, she'll smell it. And she'll be like, oh, that reminds her of grandpa. My grandfather chewed snuff. Okay. So I never had... <laughs> there, there's nothing good to remember about a spit bucket and grandpa, you know? Well, at, at least it was a spit bucket. When I was in college, I had a few buddies who chewed. And what they would do was they, they'd start off with a can of Coke or Mountain Dew. Oh. And they'd finish the can, and then they'd break the little tab off. And then they'd use the can as their spittoon. And especially a, a long-running gaming session, you get to be 11 o'clock midnight. Right. We're all a little punchy. Somebody reaches for their can of Coke and inadvertently grabs the spittoon next to oh. it. And we had more than one occasion where somebody accidentally grabbed the spittoon and took a big old swig and then usually ran for the bathroom and we could hear them yeah now gra- my my grandfather had a true spittoon you know it was um probably bronze you know as a kid i always thought it was gold but mm-hmm. it was probably bronze and you know it always was and the guy could spit from five feet away and always hit it kind of thing you know but it was just like it was to me that was always the grossest thing i remember the one time i tried chewing I don't know. You ever try it? No, no, no. Okay. I My older brother chews. Okay. And he has for years. And when, and, and this is kind of a, a, a stupid story on my part. But anyway, one time he's like, he was home. He's four years older than me. So he was home from the army. And he's like trying to get me to chew. And I'm like, I don't want to, you know, uh, I don't want to do that. And so finally he goes, if you do it, I'll give you five bucks. Okay. I'm like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, you know, and of course, I don't know anything. Grandpa always chewed Copenhagen. My brother chewed Copenhagen. So I took a, you know, a big old pinch of Copenhagen. I put it in my lip. And then I proceeded to get dizzy and nauseous. And, I mean, cold sweats, the, you know, the whole thing, right? And, uh, you know, to this day, he's never paid me five bucks. Sounds like an older brother. <laughs> anyway, so back to uh, to uh, Ireland, we were talking. Um, so... How, do they still, is it still the same kind of thing or do they have like an established drinking age? Because I know a lot of Europe, which they're part of, yes, um, is, is kind of a, it's kind of left up to the parents and a lot of kids will get wine or some sort of alcohol with dinner. Mm-hmm. And to, to the best of my knowledge, unfortunately, I, I haven't been back in many years, but especially in the more rural communities. It is still that way. I mean, you go to Galway, you go to Dublin, the the bigger cities, they're a little stricter about it because of the high level of tourism. Oh, okay, I suppose, And so they they want to make sure that they maintain a similar type of environment to what the tourists are used to back home in terms of safety. Is Is there a lot of American tourism in Ireland? There is. Uh, There's also a, a lot of um, 
American exchange students who go to Ireland. Probably um, because they think they can get beer. <laughs> well, there, there's that. But also, uh, Trinity University in Dublin has a phenomenal medical school. Okay. And it, it's actually one of the best medical schools in Europe. Okay. So, now, and then also, if you're Catholic, it's Trinity University. They right, have a, an right. excellent divinity school as well and have for hundreds of years. So... Now, when you talk about going back to Ireland, because there is a distinction between Ireland and Northern Ireland. Correct. And now your family is from Ireland? My family is from Ireland, yes. They're from uh, County Galway, which is in the southwest. Okay. And uh, they're from, they were from a, a little village called Bohabui in Caharo, County Galway. Okay. And so it, when, when I used to write out the airmail letters, we, we had to write right. like five lines of address. Uh, when I was going there, we had the village store, which had the village phone, so that if someone was calling, the storekeeper or his wife would answer. Usually the wife would answer the phone, especially if it was the middle of the night because of the time difference. Right. Uh, the wife would answer the phone while the shopkeeper would put his pants and sweater on. Because he knew he was running bike. somewhere. He, he knew he had to get on his bike and go tell somebody that they had a phone call. And then he'd ride out to the house, and then whoever the call was for would generally get on their bike and go back with him and take the call. Okay. So, is there is there a big difference between... Now, have you ever been to Northern Ireland? I have not. Okay. I have friends who have, and I have family who have. Because now, I guess it's it's really just a distinction on a map more than anything today. Um, or is that still not true? It, it's not completely true, although it may become more true in the years to come. Uh, Northern Ireland is still technically part of the United Kingdom. However, following Brexit... They want to join they, Scotland? Uh, well, the, Scotland had already started making noises about a referendum for independence, and it was voted down. But shortly after it was voted down, we got the Brexit vote, and now the Scottish separatists are saying, well, you know, we still want to be part of Europe. Right. So they're looking to separate from the United Kingdom so that they can rejoin the European Union. Northern Ireland also wants to be part of the European Union, so they're looking at separating from the UK to join Ireland. Okay. Because which Ireland's not... already a member. Right, right. So Ireland is is not part of the UK. No. Has it ever been part of the UK? Yes. Okay, I thought it, it was it, at it one point. It achieved independence right around World War Two. Okay. All right, so all right, so <laughs> we we were talking about exchange exchange you you know your exchange trips so and studying abroad right so you you went to did you ever study in Ireland no but I played soccer you played which, soccer which was fun okay so um but since I was over there during the summer at the time they were still had they still had the the same academic year setup that we do here in America okay which is, and again for largely the same reasons tourism and um, agriculture. Okay. So the kids were off during the summer when you needed the extra help on the farm or when you needed help in the hotels and the charter boats. Right, and right. Okay. So, but my cousins went to school over in Ireland and I always thought it was amazing. This is one of the reasons that I wanted to do study abroad programs was because in Ireland, all the schools are officially bilingual. You learn English and what most everybody else calls Irish, but they call Gaelic. Okay. 
And I had friends who were from Germany and Switzerland, and they grow up studying two or three languages. And so when I went to Mexico, I really went because not only was it required to get my teaching license um, to be a Spanish teacher, but I also wanted to just immerse myself in the culture and the language and really study. And it was great because at the school I went to, I wasn't taking what you would consider like language classes. I had one class on Spanish, but it was more of an advanced linguistics class, kind of like you take a higher end English class okay. in college. Okay. Where it, it's it's not so much memorize this vocabulary and then we'll do a, a quiz on it. It was really working with the nuances of the language and how to um and a lot of the things we did was we wrote papers, we wrote poetry, we did a lot of the things that you do in a regular English class. I had another class that was on literature. And we did a broad survey of Spanish language literature, but then we had a focused unit on Mexican literature, okay. which was excellent because a lot of the times in American college classes about Spanish literature, you, you only get the big guns from Spain. Um, you get a, a couple of people from South America because they maybe won the Nobel Prize for literature, but you don't get a lot of the, the smaller authors that are less well-known outside their area. Okay. And then another class I had was on anthropology and culture. And uh, that was taught by a professor who was actually from the area. His mom was a member of one of the indigenous tribes. Okay. And so uh, we got to do a a lot of in-depth cultural anthropology research. And, of course, all of this is done in Spanish as if we were born and raised speaking Spanish. Right, right. And it, it was just amazing. The the level that um, my language abilities climbed to just in those three short months being completely immersed in it was amazing. Well, you know, and I've, and I've heard that. It's like they, they say if you don't even have to speak a language, but if you immerse yourself in it, it just kind of, you learn it out of necessity. Yes. So, um... <laughs> So the, the the silly question: Did you take an English class while you were in Spain or in uh, Mexico? No, I did not. But I taught English. Okay. My host family, I, I was staying with a, an older couple who had been host families repeatedly over the years. Okay. And it was great. They actually had a, a home with what we would here in the the states call a mother-in-law suite. Okay. It was uh, separate from the main house. It was across the courtyard. And that was another thing that I thought was interesting. Almost every house had a, a gated wall around it. And the entire, where here, especially in Wisconsin, we have a lot of people who are really obsessed with their yards. Right, right. And like they're, they're out there all the time mowing and they mow in a particular pattern and they lime and weed and feed and everything. Uh, Mexico, because of the climate, especially where I was, which was in southern Mexico up in the mountains, they don't have yards. They have courtyards, and the entire focus of the house is turned inwards. Okay. So where we would have, like, a big deck or a patio out back, they have a patio in the center of the house that's open to the sky. And that's where they do all their barbecuing. That's where they do their entertaining. Um, Because the the weather's usually warmer year-round, they can have this large open-air space. So anybody who's ever tried to barbecue in Wisconsin in January, you know how much... 
it cannot be the greatest thing in the world. Yes, <laughs> I've been there. I, a lot of times on New Year's Eve, I end up out at the uh, out at the grill. But you know, um, the last couple of years I've had a charcoal grill, so that doesn't happen because that just no. takes too long. Got to have you got to have quick heat. <laughs> All right, so um, what was one of your biggest uh, misconceptions before going to Mexico about what it was going to be like there. You thought it was going to be one way and you got there and you're like, it's totally not. Um, probably the, the biggest thing for me was the food. Now, this wasn't my first time in Mexico. Okay. Um, I had, since I've, I've been studying Spanish since high school and I've had the opportunity at, at least four times prior to this, maybe six, where I would go to Mexico for a week on vacation with um, like Christmas break or summer vacation. Or okay. Whatever. Okay. And uh, my good friend from high school that I, I grew up with and went to high school with, um, he and I both took Spanish. And so he and I would usually go together. And it, it was hilarious because he's Italian. So he has the, the, very dark hair, the dark eyes, right. the darker complexion, but he was a horrible Spanish student. Okay. Which, which I always thought was funny because he grew up bilingual, speaking Italian and English. And Italian and Spanish are very close to it. So he could get by, but I was always more fluent than he was. And so we'd go, and whenever we went, we avoided all the tourist areas. We, we'd go to little villages out of the way. One time we went to Puerto Vallarta. Okay. And we stayed in this little village halfway up a mountain. We were a good two-hour bus ride to the hotel area so we we never bothered going there we we just hung around you didn't and, go for the white sand is what you're saying no no the the, the beach that we went we went cliff diving off of okay so, which is a blast but it is not the touristy white sand beaches that you see in all the commercials and it, it sounds dangerous it sounds like if you do something wrong cliff diving it can be the end of you it can which is why you need to be careful <laughs> and only go where the locals go I suppose. Yes. I mean, you know, and I've I've seen you in action with your Spanish, um, and 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 I can I can, can you know attest that you do speak Spanish. Um, we were just uh, a few weeks ago. We were down at uh, Gamehole Con. Yes, we had a blast. And we did have a blast, but we went out and you started talking to the guy in the taco truck, and then you got all fancy pants and started speaking in Spanish. I, at least I'm assuming it was Spanish. Yes, it was. <laughs> and. Uh, I just remember looking over when you first started talking and the guy in the inside the truck just was very shocked that you could speak the language. So, um, and I know you talked to him and it had a lot to do with your dietary restrictions or whatever, but, um, do you find that when you, when you come across someone who speaks the language and you just start speaking that does it really shock them? Oftentimes it does. Um, and part of it I think is, cultural and it's a little bit of the the negative cultural stereotype that americans sometimes have in, in other countries that we expect everybody else to speak english well that's what i speak so yeah it makes sense <laughs> you know i'm kidding of yes. course i i, and, I do and only speak english and um i also speak american which if you know anything about english they're completely different languages they are <laughs> but go on so but, and as you mentioned, I have my dietary restrictions, I have some food allergies, and it's, I find it easier if I'm um, 
talking with someone from another culture, if I learn the at least the important words to express my food allergies, because a couple of them are very serious, that it makes things a whole lot easier. But I have my Spanish words. I have the important ones. You want to hear them? Okay. Cerveza? Yes. Baño? Yep. What else do I need? Uh, uh, no fishy. Because <laughs> that's my food allergy. Yes. <laughs> so and if you have enough cerveza, you're going to need the baño. Yes. So, you know. Um, but no, I don't I don't speak another language. I, um, I used to kind of sort of speak French, but, you know, it was not, a, it was not an immersion thing. It was a high school. Right. I, you know, I took it for four years. And I learned enough to, you know, put a sentence together and swear a little bit. And, yep. But, you know, I think that the whole idea of, of immersive learning, which is really what we're talking about. I mean, we're kind of telling stories, but um, the, whole, the whole concept is, you know, immersive learning. And Emma even told me, my daughter, she came home from Germany, that just in those three weeks, even though there was times she felt really lost, that her ability in three weeks just... You know, went up. Oh yes, definitely. So, um, you know, I I've always wanted to travel internationally, but um, Emma starts college in the fall, so it's going to be several years before I go anywhere further than maybe Madison. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fortunately uh, for me, my oldest is only in first grade, so yes. I, I have a little while before that becomes an issue. But. I've already started talking to her in Spanish. I mean, when she was born, we started, when I'd be up with her in the middle of the night to give her a bottle, we'd watch Dora the Explorer. And a, a lot of that is, at least from my perspective, is because there's so much research out there about how good it is for the developing brain to have a second language. There, there's a lot of research that shows that now when they hit about kindergarten age, students who are raised bilingually they are a little behind their one language peers in production, in the number of words they know and their ability to put a sentence together and mm -hmm. so on. By about the end of kindergarten, early first grade, they catch up. And then from there on, they just rocket past them. Um, it, learning a, a, foreign, a foreign language is, or language in general is one of the few areas that actively engages both sides of the brain equally and simultaneously whereas we, we always talk about how people who are very math and science are more left brain because it's right. the, the analytical and logical part uh, people who are more creative and artistic use the right side language requires both of them because you need the left side for the rules and the grammar and all the like the fact pieces of okay what vocabulary word do i need but then the right side the creative side is putting the sentences together and pulling all the pieces that you need because nobody is ever going to memorize every possible sentence that they will ever use. Right. I mean, even in English, we don't. Right. I mean, um, so how many languages would you say you can speak at a conversational level? Right now, I would only rate myself at conversational in English, American, and Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back to you. Oh, of course. So I'm only one language behind you. That's good. Yep. Now, um, when I graduated high school and then for my first couple of years in college, I was an interpreter for, at the time it was called Immigration and Naturalization Service. It was part of the Justice Department. Now it's been broken up and it's um, ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, 
Um, but I had an internship with the Justice Department at the John F. Kennedy Center in Boston. Okay. And I was an interpreter for Spanish, German, Italian, and Portuguese. Yeah, because I know you've talked to Emma in German. Yes. Um, and I, I remember a little French from when I took it in eighth grade. Okay. Uh, it's kind of interesting. My The high school that I teach at, um, the junior highs and the high school send students up to Concordia language villages in Minnesota every year. And last year uh, was my first year with that particular district and I got to go. And it was really fun because everybody from the high school was on one bus. So we had the Spanish teachers, the French teacher, the German teacher, and all the, the students from all three languages. And I'd been working on improving my French and German since I'd gotten there because I've one of the reasons that I lose, that anybody loses the language is because you don't, you don't use it. it. Yeah. And so um, I'd been speaking with the French teacher. I'd been speaking with the German teacher all year. And then I got to talk with the students. And the, the students who really didn't know me because they weren't taking Spanish classes were just amazed at how much my German and my French had progressed in the few months that I'd been working on it. And it, but it's kind of like riding a bike. Once you get back into it, the pathways and the knowledge is all still there. You just got to open the doors. Right, right. All right. So we had started talking about, um, you know, when you were in, in Mexico, about what was different than your expectation. You had said food, and then we um, were 12 minutes later. Yes. Um, the, the reason food was so surprising is because what's the first thing you think of when you think Mexican food? Tacos. Yes. Okay. Quesadilla. Mm-hmm. What do all of those have in common? Um, taco shells? Yes, tortillas. Yeah. Now, whether they're the soft or the hard, but most people, when they think of Mexican food, they think of tortillas. They, the, the nice, flat, round bread, sometimes smaller, sometimes bigger. Sometimes you just fold stuff in it, or you deep fry it, and you got the hard, crunchy shell. I was in Oaxaca, which is in extreme southern Mexico. I've actually heard of Oaxaca. Yes, I don't know why. They're famous for their cheese. They're they're almost the Oaxaca Wisconsin cheese. Of, yes. yes, okay. They're, they're kind of the Wisconsin of Mexico. Okay. And their their cheese is excellent. They they have a, a an excellent uh, kind of string cheese, and it also melts really well. Okay. But they are huge on bread, not tortilla shells. Okay. Actual loaves of bread like you'd find in America. Okay, so like artisanal breads. Uh, that, but also loaves of bread that you like buy at the store and they're sliced. Okay. So one of the the first lunches that I had with my host family. Now the the first week I was there was in Mexico City, and we did all the touristy things. Okay. But then when we got to Oaxaca and we were in the the cultural immersion part, and then my host mom made me a sandwich, and, and it you're was like what? As, this looks like it was from my kitchen. Right, right, right. Um, now, a lot of times they, they would do, especially for breakfast, they would have like what we'd consider a sweet roll, not quite a, a cinnamon roll, but almost like a croissant. Okay. And they'd split that and they'd put like scrambled eggs and cheese and some kind of meat. So like yeah. a breakfast sandwich. Kind of like a breakfast sandwich. Okay. Now, we did occasionally have tortillas and they had the, the street sellers who would walk around with packages of fresh made tortillas like just out of the oven right. still warm packages of tortillas i'm going there yes <laughs> but usually what they do instead of making sandwiches or tacos or stuff with them they used them almost like dinner rolls oh, okay. where you, you'd rip off a piece and like whatever you were eating if it had they a sauce dunk you'd it dunk it in, it in the sauce and okay do that 
Um, now, pervasively in well in the United States, but really in Wisconsin, you see a lot more of the flour tortilla. Yes. Um, but my understanding, and this could be wrong, is that they tend to use more of the masa or the corn in Mexico. In the parts that I've been, uh, that is the case. I've, I've I've only been to I think six of the states in okay. Mexico, um, so that that's far less than half. Because like me personally, I prefer the corn tortillas, because in most cases they got a little bit of a sweet to them from the from the corn. They do, um, and the flour tortillas just they get real gummy, and mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that. However, the rest of my family <laughs> wants the flour tortillas. Yes, well, flour tortillas do have the advantage that they're more pliable they are. than the corn. Corn um, will break. Yeah, they don't fall apart as quickly. And um, I, me personally, I've always preferred the corn. And it works out that with my food allergies, I can have the corn. I can't have the flour. There you go. But, uh, yes, usually to, to really have a good corn tortilla, you have to uh, steam it or heat right. it on the, the flat top ahead of time to loosen up the fibers of it. Otherwise, you try to fold it and it tears or the juice gets into it and it just kind of disintegrates. Yeah. So now, um, since we're talking food, what's the one food while you were in Mexico that you just went, you eat what? Um, and it doesn't have to be yeah. on your exchange trip, just at any time. Yeah, I, I didn't really run across that all that much. One of the the best dishes I had was uh, my host mom took a squash. Okay. Cut it in half, scooped out the, the seeds, and then um, oven roasted it with a little butter and salt, and then took it out of the oven, filled it with leftover chicken, just okay. baked chicken, and then put some of the Oaxaca cheese on it and put it back in the oven. What kind of, what kind of squash? Do you remember? Um, I think it was just a... Their, some variety of a summer squash. So it, it was just okay. a, a nice yellow squash, similar to what you see around here. Okay, yeah, it actually doesn't sound bad. No, oh, so in, in the in the winter and stuff in, in our house, we'll use a lot of like um, acorn squash, right. and you know the I don't even know what it's called, kind of bell shaped one, but um, you know because that's for at least here that's a hearty winter kind of right. thing to do, but. I like that idea that actually, you know, take an acorn squash, kind of cook it, mix it up with some chicken, throw mm-hmm. some cheese on it, throw it back in the oven. Yep. Actually sounds really good. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> I, Here, there's your cultural exchange for the week. There we go. There we go. So, um, let's see. What else? It, all right. So, food was not what you expected it to be because it was so much like what you were used to. Right. It, it wasn't... What was so different was that it wasn't different. Right. Right. So, what... What in, if I were to say to you, Scott, Nikki and I are going to Mexico, what's the one thing that's going to shock me? Um, it's going to depend on what part of Mexico, but pretty much anywhere you go in Mexico, um, if you go to a mercado, the, the market, especially in the, the nice big open air markets, okay. um, you will probably find at least one person who will try to convince you to eat chipolinas. Chipolinas? Yes. And if you're lucky, they'll be chocolate covered. Um, grasshopper? Grasshopper, yes. Or some some kind of bug. Some, sometimes they'll be uh, big ants. Other times they're grasshoppers or the, the really big locusts. Sometimes. Aha. You know what I can say? Beat you no. to it. 
<laughs> I've done it already. Okay. <laughs> um, chocolate covered grasshoppers, they they remind me of almonds to a certain extent. flavor. Yes, they're, they're very crunchy. Yep, they're very crunchy and they're kind of nutty. Yes. And um, so are the people who eat them. <laughs> I've only done it once and it was kind of on a dare and yeah. I ate it and I went, you know, not so bad. The one thing that I have eaten that kind of wish I never had eaten was a small scorpion. Okay. Yeah, that was that was just kind of too many legs, too mm-hmm. many too much stuff going on in your mouth. Yes. <laughs> um, of course, you know they had the tail was gone. Broken off. Yep. Yeah. So, but um, all right. So now you've been to Mexico City. Yes. Um, I've been to uh, Teotihuacan, which are the pyramids out just outside Mexico City. Right. Uh, I actually got to climb to the top of the Pyramid of the Sun. Is that something... I mean, that sounds cool, but is that something that you normally can't do, or just... Um, for a, a number of years, you couldn't because they were uh, renovating the site. Okay. In fact, the, the year that I went, we couldn't climb the Pyramid of the Moon because they were in the middle of... Um, preserving recon- it? Preserving it, and... Part of the face had actually collapsed due to tourists climbing it, too, oh, okay. too many tourists. Um, so in some of my pictures that I brought back, I, I have pictures of the Pyramid of the Moon, and you can see the bright orange webbing fence okay. off how far you can go. Gotcha. All right. So, um, I don't know. Uh, so let's get back to the uh, the learning portion of it, the, the, the exchange portion of it. So now... When you were there, you were the host family. Yes. Now, did you did you host in return? No. So it wasn't one of those. Like with my daughter, we hosted a young girl from uh, Germany for three weeks. She was she was great. And and the thing they were supposed to do is you know she wasn't supposed to speak German while she was in America, mm-hmm. and Emma wasn't supposed to speak English while she was in um, Germany, and, and they both failed. Right. But. It was kind of fun because I did learn, before she came, I learned uh, how to say, I couldn't do it now, but I learned how to say, you know, hello, you know, my name is, you know, Chad and, you know, welcome to our house or something like that. And she thought that was the funniest thing in the world. I'm sure I slaughtered it as far as, you know, how it should sound. Probably. But she just thought it was the funniest thing. And... uh she would she would ask questions all the time. She'd be like, you know, you'd use a word. Right. And, of course, they teach them English. They don't really teach them American. No. <laughs> so if you used a slang word or something, then you had to sit down and you had to try to figure out how to explain it to them. Now, I'm guessing since your host family had hosted several times, they knew English pretty well? Um The, the older couple, and when I say older, they were grandparents. Okay. And their youngest son had his 40th birthday while I was there. So that, that kind of gives you an idea right. of their age range. And I don't, I can't recall ever actually speaking English with them. Okay. Uh, and part of it was because they understood that I was there for immersion. Right. And so we, whenever I struggled with something, if I didn't want to grab my dictionary to look it up, we just talk it through and, and try to find some common words and then we work our way around it. Okay. Now, on occasion, if, if I got completely stuck with something, I would talk to one of their three kids. 
um, because the the families all lived nearby, and the grandparents actually watched the, their grandchildren during the day. Okay. And um, their youngest son, who, as I said, had his 40th birthday while I was there, uh, was a surgeon. And he actually went to college at the University of Chicago. Okay, so he So he was bilingual. And so it, if I got really stuck with something, I talked to him. And it ended up helping that he was a, a doctor and his wife was a doctor. And his wife was actually a doctor at the local hospital. Okay. Because one of the other students that came on the trip with me ended up getting really sick and we needed to have her admitted to the hospital. Oh, wow. And so I was one of the um, supervisory interns on the trip. And so I went with her to the hospital and I called my host family's son's wife and said, can you meet me at the hospital and bring me in a patient? And um, she and I actually spoke to everybody at the hospital. So if there was anything that I got stuck on, she could fill in because she was bilingual with English as well. Okay. Okay. So that, that was very handy. But then their kids, um, one granddaughter was about 12 and she was actually still in school over the summer because their school district did year round school. Okay. Okay. And she was learning English as one of their regular subjects. And so, um, when they found out that not only was I from America, but I was studying to be a teacher, they asked me if I'd come in a couple of times and teach a class oh, okay. in English, because that way they they had teachers who were fluent in English, but they still had the accent and their English was more English, proper English right. and a little stilted. Well, it's just like when you learn any language here. I mean, like Emma was telling us, you know, they taught them German. Right. They didn't teach them what they speak on the street. Correct. You know, just like, um, you know, when I learned French, we learned, you know, uh, proper, proper Parisian French. French. Yeah. So now you're a Spanish teacher and do you, what do you teach? Do you teach Spain Spanish or do you teach Mexican Spanish or is there, is there a difference? Oh, there's a significant difference. And I actually teach the differences. Okay. And I tell the kids, this is what you find in Spain. And specifically, this is what you find in Madrid, because Spanish in Madrid is different from Spanish in the rest of the country. Okay, so if you and, go to Madrid, it's different than if you go to Porto or right. Valencia. Yep. Or, okay. And then I say, and this is some stuff that you will hear in Mexico. This is what you hear in northern Mexico. This is what you hear in southern Mexico. This is some of the stuff that you'll hear in Central America. This is some stuff that you'll hear in northern South America, especially close to Brazil. This is some stuff that you'll hear in Argentina. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot like English in that way that the way we speak in the Midwest is different than the way they speak on the East Coast and the South, um, you know, down in the Southeast yes. or Southwest, you know, and, you know, up in the, in the Northwest, which is completely different than the way we speak here. Exactly. The slang is different. The pronunciation is different. Though we all speak English. Right. Sort of. More or less. <laughs> but, I mean, so, if you, if I go to England, I'm going to understand them, but they're not going to speak the same way that I do. Correct. And they, they may throw some slang at you that you're not going to understand. Like, they'll, they'll say, like, if, if you're helping somebody move, they'll say, just throw it in the lorry. Right. And you'll look at them and go, what's Lori got to do with this? She's not helping. Well, I happen <laughs> to know what a lorry is, but yes, I can, I can see that kind of, you know. Uh, put it in the bonnet. Yep. Which is just the trunk. Exactly. 
Um, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, I, I know some of the differences, but it's like, um, I have to bring this one up because it always makes me laugh. They have a, they have a food. It's a, it's sort of a bread, I think. It's called Spotted Dick. Yes. You know, the first time I saw that in a, in a, uh, in a grocery store in America, I just about lost it because I'm like, you're, you're selling what? <laughs> and here it's just, it's a, it's a, I think it's a sweet bread. Yes. I've never actually had it because... I don't know, there's just something about the name. I just can't... Wrap your mind around yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. your mouth, for that matter. <laughs> Thank God this is an adult show. Yes. Um. But anyway, so... Alright, so we're kind of getting to that point. What... If if you were to be the poster child for, um, you know, um, doing this kind of learning, doing this um, immersive um, exchange-type program... What what would be the one thing you would tell people? The 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 one reason above the others, and you can go into the others if you want to. But what's that one reason? The reason that as a parent, um, it was good for me to drop you know three thousand dollars for my daughter to go to Germany, or some parent for six months, you know, dropping whatever it cost. I mean, because it's expensive. It is. But if you do it through uh, high school or college, usually you're doing it in place of the classes that you would take that semester. So financial aid applies, and it's essentially just a little bit more than paying for college for that semester. Yeah, for college maybe, but that wasn't the case at least for what my daughter did in Germany. So Now, what I would say, and it's the core reason that any parent does anything for their children. It will make their lives better for the rest of their life. Okay. And and I get that, and that that's part of the reason you know uh, we dropped the money, and I'm sure that's part of the reason your parents dropped the money, at, you know, and and you dropped the money right. to do the things you were doing. But let's not let let's go to the point where not everybody is is interested in that. Is there is there a financial gain to be had from this? Yes, um, if you do it. In high school, there is the financial gain that it sets your child apart from all the other applicants to college for the college that you want to get into and for the scholarships that you would be eligible for or that you might want to win. Because you show that I've done this, most other people haven't. That that sets you apart from the crowd. Right. In college, um, like as I said, I had to go to Mexico to get my teaching license. So to get my job, I had to have this. Right. So right there, there's a huge financial incentive. Also, by being bilingual, when I was um, going to college and I'd go home or when I took some time off from college when my mom got sick, every job I had, I got an automatic minimum 10% bump in pay because I spoke more languages. Okay. And if I was with a larger company, pretty much anywhere I wanted to work, I'd say, you have a population at this location that speaks this language. I speak that language. I want to work there. And they're like, done. So I got my pick of jobs. I have one job in particular. I worked for a hotel chain based in Switzerland. Okay. They found out I started third shift weekends security. So basically I was a -a rent-a-cop walking around Friday overnight and Saturday overnight. Okay. I was one of two people in the department that spoke Spanish, the only person in the department that spoke German. 
pretty much all the staff meetings were held in German for okay. the, the upper level managers of the hotel because they were all either from Switzerland or Germany. My manager found out that I, I spoke Spanish and German. And then her manager found out I went from, I'd been there, I think, four weeks. Okay. And I went from being part-time third shift to floating shift manager full-time. <laughs> and then I would go to all of the staff meetings for my department. I became the department representative, which made my boss really happy because she spoke very little German. So she'd always have to talk to somebody after the meeting to find out what had been said. Ah, what she so, agreed to do, huh? Yes. <laughs> so now she no longer has to go to those meetings, right? which frees up her time. I go, I just give her the, the capsule summary of what was said, and we got the agenda ahead of time. So I'd say, okay, this is what they're going to talk about. What do you want me to say? Okay, say this and this and this. Okay. So it helps in that. Now, does the language you choose to speak make a difference? Because... To be honest, my daughter speaks German. There's not a lot of German-speaking people around here. I mean, you get down to Milwaukee, places like that there are, but where we are in central Wisconsin... Well, there, there's a strong German tradition in central Wisconsin, and yeah. German is related to other languages, like Polish, which has a strong presence in central Wisconsin. So that the closeness of the languages allows for greater ease of communication. And then there, there's also a certain amount of the respect factor. But financially, for someone learning German, Germany right now, now granted there's a, a lot of economic unrest in Europe and issues with the European Union, but right now Germany is the economic and political powerhouse of one of the largest economic blocks in the world. And if you speak German, and especially in light of some of the new programs, that they've implemented to attract um, college students from other countries because Germany has a population decrease problem. Their, their population is aging and they're not having enough kids. Yeah, we, we kind of looked into that. Um, she could actually go to Germany for free yes. and go to college. But she got homesick after three weeks. She thinks it's probably not a good idea. To go for four years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. But it's also something that maybe... For her junior and senior year of college, she looks at. Right. Especially if she keeps up with German in college here in the States. Right. And she's, you know, she's uh, she's going, she is going away. She, uh, she's she got been accepted to it as we've got all the stuff in place now. She is uh, an official student at UW-Milwaukee. Excellent. So um, there, there's that. And I asked her about German and she said, I, I really don't know. And I said, well, you've already got all these credits. She earned, um, I want to say six or nine English or uh, German credits through uh, UW Green Bay. Okay. Um, because of the years of German that she had, and she had to take some kind of a test. And, right. But and those will transfer with her to Milwaukee. Excellent. So um, I said, you know, it might be worth it at least in the beginning to keep up with it. Uh, but she's kind of hem hawing on that. But uh, we'll see. Because I said, then you can not only can you become a teacher, but you could also, you know, in, in theory, be a German teacher. Right. So uh, maybe I'll have you talk to her about this. Absolutely. I'd love to. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, um, I guess that's all I've got. Do you do you really have anything else you wanted to talk about specifically? Um, no, not really. Just another plug for Evercon. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you look on the website, I, I look to, at the various games and... Um, 
as Chad told me uh, a few weeks ago, I didn't realize this, but I was the first person not only to buy my weekend badge for Evercon, but also to register my events. So when you look on the games page, I have games numbered one, two, and three. I have number 13, number 50-something, and then I've got some right up there around 100. I kind of spaced mine out, right. figuring out what I was going to be available for and that kind of stuff. But All right, so we're going to wrap this up. Um, next week's guess, in theory, I've been having a run of uh, bad luck on this, but um, uh, Nick Olson, Nick is a buddy of mine that uh, I, I gamed with a lot when I had my shop. Um he, uh, we kind of keep in touch through Facebook and all that kind of fun stuff, but, um, Nick will be on next week. Um, my guess for Nick is he's kind of a motorhead, so I'm thinking we're going to talk cars possibly, uh, because the last time I saw him, he had one of the new Dodge Chargers, and I was oh, okay. like, I love your car, man. <laughs> so, I don't know. Like I said, you know, it's, who knows? I'm, I'm horrible at this guessing thing. I'm actually thinking about, I'm going to start just telling you who the guest is, and I'm not going to guess anymore, because it's just kind of, it, it's getting it's getting the ego starting to deflate a little bit. So, you know how that goes. But um, at least it stays interesting. Yes. So, um, next is Mailbag. And, Scott, you are on the first episode where I actually got an email. Oh, cool. So, I'm going to read the email. Um it says, uh, Chad, you mentioned a story about uh, bags of milk at Quick Trip in episode two with Lou. What was that story? Um, and this came from Adam Netzler, who was a uh, he was a guest not too long ago. Uh, we talked about Chatham Games. Uh, we owned that together. So the story. <clears throat> All right. So here's the story. It's it's uh, just for you, Adam. It's it's not the greatest story in the world, and I'm actually surprised that. Of all the people, Adam has not heard this story. So when Quick Trip first came out with the bagged milk, you know, um, where you could go, you could buy a half gallon at a time in this bag. And they kind of marketed it as this indestructible bag. So I had went to the Quick Trip with my mom and we had gotten some milk. And I was, um, I was a rambunctious child. Okay, I can see that. <laughs> so we took the milk in the house, and my dad was sitting in this chair in the living room, which had we had shade carpet at the time. So I took the bag of milk, and I said, look, Dad, you can do this with it, and it doesn't break. And I was throwing it up and catching it, you know, and stuff. And I threw it one time, and it went, I threw too hard. It hit the ceiling. Okay. Kind of veered off, so I missed it. It hit the floor, and it exploded all over the carpet. Now, you didn't happen to have popcorn ceiling, did you, with all those nice little bumps no, on the ceiling? No, Okay. But, so it explodes all over the floor, and um, that would be, I believe the term was an ass whooping. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so that was the story. I threw the bag up, it exploded everywhere. So, though they claim they're kind of almost indestructible... I can break them. So <laughs> that's the story, Adam. Um, so, yeah. So the last segment, quote of the day. I um, actually have uh, one quote this time. And you might actually get this. I, I didn't think um, that uh, Spencer would have gotten this, but I could have been wrong. I'm not sure. I've known Spencer for several years. I've known him since he was a young kid. 
And I know what his main passion is, which is wrestling. So this has nothing to do with wrestling. If that that that's your hint. Okay. All right. It says, "Here's the quote for this this week: What you are, you are by accident of birth. What I am, I am by myself. There are and will be a thousand princes. There is only one Beethoven." Am I supposed to guess what it means or who said it? Who said it? Um, my initial thought would be Ludwig von Beethoven, but I'm kind of guessing that's too obvious. You tell me what your guess is. I'm going to go with Beethoven. It was Beethoven. He <laughs> um, obviously was quite full of himself, um, but he was born December 16th, 1770. He's a composer and a musician. Um, he would be, uh, 246 years old today. Wow. So, uh... He's probably just as deaf as he was when he was alive. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that note, I'm going to say good night, and we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>